everyone. Happy Easter nearly. And Easter is nearly upon us. And Easter, it's a time that we celebrate, uh, a time that we look forward to. It's, it is a time of joy and rejoicing. Every, oh, Easter's, you know, and we, Easter's got a good vibe to it, isn't it? Yet, for those who are actually in and experiencing that first Easter, it didn't have a good vibe at all. I mean, it was dreadful. So it's really strange that we, it's great, we're celebrating it because we know the good that came out of that dreadful time. But for those who are going through it, it was the darkest and most horrific series of events. But what we can encourage, even, even just saying, we're really happy that Easter is upon us. What we can say, from the darkest times, we can actually move into the best of times. Isn't that amazing? And there's only one reason why that happens. And there's only one person that can bring that about. And his name is Jesus. It's, it's, it's a miracle that the darkest, most horrific human experience because of Jesus can actually bring us into the best of times. And James says this in the book of James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. From the worst of times, being made ready to walk into the best of times. And so as we're looking at our Easter series, we're looking at the experiences of those characters who journeyed and were in the space that Jesus occupied during those Easter events. And today we're going to be looking at Peter um, and his story, like so many of the characters around Easter, started in the upper room for Easter and then moved from the upper room where they had that first Passover, Easter Passover, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this Easter, this first Easter, was Peter's darkest hours. And what we learn from Peter's bitter, dreadful experience, that no one is exempt from hardship in this world, even the followers of Jesus. Nobody is exempt from hardship or suffering, not one of us. Think about this. Peter was handpicked by Jesus. Handpicked. He said, well, you're a fisherman, and I'm going to make you fisher of men. Follow me. And he, out of all the myriads of people flocking around the shoreside of Galilee and the towns of Galilee in Israel at the time, he handpicked Peter to be his follower. One of the 12, one of those infamous 12 disciples. They call them the 12 apostles of the Lamb. One of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, which actually will be around the throne when Jesus returns. Amazing, amazing destiny. And Peter is one of them, handpicked. An apostle. He was one of the top three. They call him the when I say the top three, Jesus had the, like, James, John, and Peter were a little gang. And when Jesus went in and did, like, amazing things and had an amazing experience healing Jairus' daughter, he only allowed Peter, James, and John to come with him. 
when Jesus went up at the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw him transformed into brilliant, glorious, dazzling white. And Moses and Elisha were there on the mountain. The presence of God came down and God spoke, this is my son, my beloved one, listen to him. There was only three of them there. And uh, Peter, James, and John had these amazing encounters with Jesus. He was the leader, one of the pillars, one of the top leaders of the early church. And uh, what we read is that this amazing person, this amazing calling, he didn't come ready-made. He was a work in process. Like us all, a work in process. He got picked and he wasn't up to the job. We read that he was compulsive. He often blurted things out. There's one occasion when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. And he says, no, never, Lord. And he says, you don't have the things of God in mind, Peter. You've got the things of Satan in mind. I mean, here's his apostle, one of the leaders of the church, one of his top three, actually speaking out the thoughts of Satan, trying to stop Jesus going to the cross. So, you know, he really was a work in process. Compulsive, impetuous. Oh, he was passionate. I mean, when he said to Jesus, Jesus, everybody might forsake you, but I will never forsake you. Oh, he was filled with passion in that moment. He was incredibly outspoken. But he was acutely aware of his failings when he got called as a fisherman on the sand of Galilee. He fell on his knees before Jesus after he'd just seen Jesus perform an amazing miracle of something like 153 fish in, in the net after they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing, and he fell on his knees. And he says, oh, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. When face to face with Jesus and his divine, miraculous power, his response was, I am not worthy. I am not ready. I am not up to the job. You've got no business calling me. You've made a big mistake. Just let me go home back to my wife, will you? <laughs> you know, don't let me get involved with you. You are a holy man. And he was acutely aware of his failings. And he, he lived with this tension. And I think everybody who follows Christ and longs to serve Christ and know him and live for God lives with this tension. The greatness of, like, we have been called by God. We have been called to know him, to serve him, to represent him, to speak for him, to pray in his name. We have been called to be the light of the world, corporately and individually, called to this great purpose. And yet we live with a battling weakness and character flaws. And every, every Christian who walks with Jesus, like Peter, has to work through these tensions, like us all. Now, the interesting thing, after three years of being schooled and trained with Jesus, can you imagine what that was like? I mean, Jesus living and breathing and journeying and doing life with Jesus for three years. After three years of this, just be, weeks before he had, Peter had his greatest victory where he preached in Jerusalem and 3,000 people came to Christ and were added to the church he was so anointed and powerful that he just walked past people on the streets who were lame and crippled and blind and broken. And they got healed as his shadow fell upon them. I think, uh, it's just his shadow. And they're getting healed. 
He goes to Gate Beautiful at a time of prayer and he heals the crippled man who'd been a lifetime of being crippled begging. And then he stood up before the scribes and the Pharisees and the very people who crucified Jesus and orchestrated his death. He defied them when they said, stop preaching about Jesus. And in his boldness and his courage, he said these infamous words that every one of us should recite in our hearts and say, choose for yourself. Is it better to obey God or man? Gosh, knowing that these were the people that had the power and the connections to put him on the cross like Jesus did. He was sent to the Roman centurion. And as he shared about Jesus, into the Gentile orbit now, and he's just talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell in the room. And they all were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They gave their lives to Christ. Just as he was talking, the Spirit of God just filled the whole room. This all happened, but just a few weeks before of these amazing things, he went through his biggest trial and greatest failure. How does that work? Defeated by his own weakness. And as we read, the onslaught of Satan. Let's read it. So here's Jesus just before Peter was going through his, about to start this trial as he followed Jesus through his trials and sufferings. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sieve you all as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon. Note that. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Note that as well, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Peter was about to be taken through the test of his lifetime, put through the mill. These tests had the potential and power to destroy his faith. And in destroying his faith, totally derail him and his purpose that God had called him to. And how did this happen? Simply put, through a turn of events. That's how most of our trials happen, you know. Just a turn of events. And these events... As we unpack them, we see three things at work. Or oh, Jesus in gives us an insight. There were three things at work. There was God at work through these events, shaping and schooling and training and developing and refining Peter and making him from a reed, because the name Peter means reed, to a rock. Sorry, the name Simon, which is first name, his, uh, his birth name was called Simon, which means reed, blown about not being able to hold steady, hold still. I don't know. I felt like that many times. I'm sure you have too. From a reed, and he says, but you become a rock. And God was at work turning him from a reed that was in, not dependable to a rock that you could put a foundation on and build something on. These, are, these events, God was at work. But also then Peter's human flaws and weaknesses came into play and the pressure of these events caused the very weaknesses that he had to come right out onto the surface. And Satan's in destructive intent was at play at the same time. And the amazing, remarkable thing, we can sometimes see all of these things at work at the same time. The work of God, the fragility of our human nature, and the work of the enemy seeking to destroy our faith. So let's start. Here we are with the upper room. 
And Peter makes a promise after Jesus says, as it is written, the shepherd shall be struck and the sheep shall flee, referring to everybody forsaking him. And Peter turns around and says, everybody else may run, Lord, but I will never forsake you. And he made this unwavering commitment. And Jesus turned around to Peter and said, Peter, even if all fall away, uh, Peter replied, even if all fall away on my account, I will never. And truly, truly, Jesus answered, this very night, Peter, moments after you've made this passionate declaration of an unfailing commitment, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And then they left and went into the garden. And the first thing is, Jesus says, come and pray for, with me a while. <laughs> they just fell asleep. And I've known that. I've had many times, I can remember many times I've needed to pray for a while. And I've just, my eyes have got heavy. And I remember my first year of Bible college. I remember going to Bible college and into the room. And there I knelt beyond my, beside my bed saying, oh, I need, really need to pray. And I'm kneeling down next to the bed, my hands on the comfy, you know, what is it? Not duvet. Bed, no, you know, the thing you sleep on. Mattress, yeah, that's right. One of those, one of those things. <laughs> on the comfy mattress. And I just, my eyes suddenly got heavy. And I just, went, and I gave in and went straight to sleep. I can remember it clear as day. And that's happened so many times. But that was just the beginning, really. Uh, they went into the garden, and then Judas came with a party to arrest him. And when they began to be arrested, under human and physical threat, fear kicked in. All of Peter's character weaknesses came out under pressure. So that there's a few things that happened. And these are common to us all. And Peter's experience is our experience when we can feel threatened or under pressure. First thing, there was the fight response. He was in the garden, and uh, they came to arrest Jesus. And the first thing he did was whip out his sword, and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. So the first thing was to retaliate and defend physically, forcefully. Sometimes that's words. That's the, the sword of words. In this case, it's the physical sword, but there's our human response to defend ourselves and to push back, and in pushing back, we wound others in the process of defending ourselves. Sometimes it can happen physically. Some people struggle with that type of rage and violence. Sometimes it can be just strong and abusive words, but it's a human response. And it came out with Peter, and Jesus had to reach out and um, heal his ear. <laughs> Can you imagine? He healing the ear of the very person that was coming. But this is what happens to human hearts under pressure. We, be, we have a fight response, and we attack and retaliate, and it's because of fear. Then there's the flight response, to run, not to stand our ground. And Peter and everybody left him in order to stay safe. Fight or flight. Some people are more flighters. Some people are more fighters. Sometimes it can be a mixture of both. But the weaknesses and the human weakness came out. 
He followed Peter's a, a dis, uh, followed Jesus at a distance, which was commendable, but it was a distance. You know, it was kind of not. I'm not. I'm not really gonna. I'm gonna stand on the fence a bit. I'm not gonna stand out. I'm gonna keep back. Self-preservation. And it says he warmed himself by the fire by the high priest's courtyard as Jesus was inside the rooms being tried. And what was happening here, Peter was seeking the comfort. It was a cold night. He was seeking the comfort of a warm fire. Seeking comfort in our times of distress in comfort. That's a human response. It's a, we need to be careful of that. When we're going through a difficult time, when we feel frightened, when we feel threatened, when we feel pressurized, when we feel insecure, when we feel it's tough, there's a human response to, have to seek comfort. And we seek comfort in comfort. And when we seek comfort in comfort, not that comfort in itself is wrong, but when we seek comfort and comfort, we become off guard. Because God is our comforter. Paul, when he was going through a terrible distress, in Thessalonica, in Asia Minor, he says, we were under such duress, we felt the sentence of death. We were beyond, we were, be, we were in despair. And they were overwhelmed to the point of actually being able to cope when you, we felt the very sentence of death. And he says, but the God of all comfort comforted us that we may comfort you with the same comfort that God has given us. But the comfort that restores and the comfort that renews and the comfort that prevails within us is the comfort that God gives us and it's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. And it's so tempting when we're going through a hard time, just, oh, not that there's anything wrong with these because these are blessings. Oh, I need a holiday. Yeah, no, there's nothing. God gives Sabbath day, so rests are important to find rhythms of rest. But we don't, we don't, Look to those first. We can eat too much. We can drink too much. We can find comfort and comfort. It could be another Netflix, another Apple TV, another series, an BBC iPlayer. All of these things. And there's nothing wrong with these in and of themselves. But we must be careful that we don't seek comfort in comfort and are distracted from our pain and difficulty through distraction. But we actually focus it on Jesus who has the power to take us through these difficulties and turn good out of bad and make the worst of times prepare us for our best of times. Warming by the fire of indulgence. And what happened as a result of that? Oh, let me just tell you. As a Paul says this, his response uh, to this, he says, I buffet my body. He disciplines himself. He guards himself so that he would not be caught off guard. This is the classic example of the Celtic saints. The Celtic saints, let me tell you a little bit about Celtic saints. They like St. David and St. Cuthbert and St. Patrick. They were the people who evangelized Great Britain and the great uh, areas of Europe. It says that they would, when they wanted to pray, they would go into the sea so that they wouldn't fall asleep. And they would go into the cold sea to stay awake during the watches of the night, praying. And there's some, there's a, I, I'm not sure if it's a legend or a myth, but it says that with St. Cuthbert, he was praying in the hours of the night into the early morning hours. 
praying, and uh, he says, and otters came to warm his feet. <laughs> it's a lovely thought, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a random thought, but it captured my imagination. <laughs> but we have to be careful taking comfort and comfort unless we get caught off guard. And this is what happened with Peter. He was comforting himself by the fire and he was caught off guard because one of the servants, one of the young servants said to Peter, oh, I recognize your accent. You're Galilean. You're one of the followers of Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not. Caught off guard, you see. Wasn't prepared. And then they asked him again, yes, you are. Somebody else said, yes, you are. You're a Galilean. You are definitely one of the followers of Jesus. No, I'm not. Caught off guard. Continued to warm by the comfort of the fire. And then somebody else says, yes, you definitely are. You definitely are one of the followers of Jesus. And then he said, on oath, I swear on oath, I don't even know him. I am not one of the followers of Jesus. And then the cock crowed three times, and Peter remembered Jesus' words. Let me just say, that terrible denial that broke Peter and caused him to weep in despair and loathing and shame and regret down to the very core of his being where he actually hit rock bottom. And he says he wept, he went out and wept bitterly. You can feel the pain and the self-loathing and the shame. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? That didn't happen in a moment. That happened from the moment he slept instead of prayed. It happened the moment he went out and was moving in the flesh of fighting to defend and retaliation. It was building up because he began to flee with fear. It was building up because he took his eye off the ball and became absorbed in comfort, in comforting in comfort. And all of the time it was causing his spiritual guard and resilience to come down that when the moment came and the power of temptation, the moment came, he was not alert and ready to resist and stand up for Christ. And all of that brought to this place of terrible failure where he hit rock bottom. Sounds, very, sounds familiar, does it? Very human, very you very me, Peter, personifying what it's like to be a human being called out of the world in our fallenness and brokenness to be a follower of Christ and living with this tension of a great purpose and yet a great flaw of humanity and brokenness. But these wonderful words that we go back to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sieve you like wheat, and he certainly was. But I have prayed for you. Jesus prayed for Peter that whilst in his flesh and humanity he was broken and failed, but his faith, the defined spark within him, would not be snuffed out. And that's what Jesus does for you and me, you know. He says the, he does the same thing for you. He's called you. He's got a purpose for you. 
We're honored and we're walking with limps and brokenness, but he has prayed for you. It says in Hebrews, he's able to completely save. That's a continual restoration, not just forgiveness so we can go to heaven, not just forgiveness so we can be right with God, but continually brought into the, the, the fullness and the wholeness and the completeness of what it is to be a human being that he intended us to be, the image of Christ in us. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercession is a form of prayer. It's a form of representative prayer. Jesus is praying to the Father for you. Always. He ever lives, one version says. He continually prays to the Father because for you. He says, Father, see that sin? Father, see that flaw? Father, see that denial? Father, see that retaliation? Father, see that lack of courage? Father, see that fear? Father, see that denial? Can you see it, Father? Forgive them and continue to work in their life because I bore it on the cross for them. All of the shame, all of the fear, all the retaliation, all of the strikes, all the runaways, all the denials and all the failures, I bore it on the cross. And he is presenting his work to the Father on your behalf and praying. So that's what intercession means, to stand in the gap, to represent one to another. Jesus finishes what he starts. Peter, I prayed for you. But when you are restored, he knew his prayer would be answered. Strengthen your brothers. Paul says this, in the light of everything I've said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will continue it and he will finish it. Jesus restored Peter thoroughly, despite the complete catastrophic failure in that moment. When he was risen from the dead, and the women went to put anointing oil upon Jesus' dead body, but he'd already been risen and beat them to it, he said to the girls, go back and tell his disciples he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him then. But he says, go and tell the disciples, and he puts this extra word in, and Peter. Go and tell the disciples, and Peter. Yeah, I know the disciples left me, but Peter messed up big time. He must feel terrible right now. And I don't want him to feel terrible right now. I want him back on mission. Go and tell Peter. And he gave a specific instruction. And I bet when they turned up, when they said, hey guys, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. I bet, I bet Peter thought, oh no, I was in trouble before, I'm in big trouble now. You know, I mean, he rebuked me. He said, when I walked three steps on the water, he rebuked me, he said, oh, you were little faith, couldn't you have done better than that? <laughs> oh no. He said, oh no, I'm really, I'm really, I'm in his bad, but oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh no. But he said, no. He says, it's okay. He says, he told us, to, and especially you, Peter, he says he's alive and he's going to meet you in Galilee. It's going to be all right. Oh, what relief. What relief. But this is the heart of, this is the heart of God. Let me tell you something. I'm sure so many of you experienced this, just like I have. Jesus is the kindest person I know. Isn't he? He's the kindest person I know. He's the kindest person you'll ever get to meet. He's so amazing, and I love the story, and I know this is one of Sarah's favorite, where 
Jesus restored Peter, having made him breakfast. How amazing is that? He's not just saying, I'll meet you in Galilee. He's inviting him for breakfast. Come for breakfast. And he made him fish and bread, and he took him for a walk, and he restored him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And this wasn't a half statement like, you know, you've messed up. Do you really love me? Come on. You know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have said those things. No, no, no. It, that wasn't his spirit. He was giving him a chance to reaffirm his love for him. He said, do you love me? He denied him three times. So three times he says, do you love me? He says, yes, I do. Okay. Well, do you really love me? Yes, I do. Well, do you really love me? Yes, I do. Three times he was able to reverse the denial by making a confession. I love you. I'm Lord to you. I want to get it right, Lord. I don't want that to happen again. And he comes to you now. He comes to me now. And just like he offered Peter the wonderful gift of repentance. Lord, I love you and I don't want to go down that road again. That's what repentance is. Repentance is going down a particular road. And you turn from a particular road and go the other way. He says, I don't want to go down that road again. I want to go down the road of following you and doing the right thing and doing right by you. I don't want to go down that road. And he's offering him the gift of repentance. It's a gift. I'll tell you why it's a gift. And the gift of confession. The gift of repentance. The gift of confession. I'll tell you why it's a gift. Because it brings us to restoration. It brings us to forgiveness. It brings us to another chance. It brings us to the slate being made clean. It brings us to following Jesus again. It, it, it brings us to a place where our wrongs, our sins, our failures, our character flaws are wiped away. And he doesn't look at us through those lenses anymore. But he looks at us through the lens of Jesus' mercy and forgiveness. Repentance is not, oh, do I really have to repent? No, repentance is, do I really? We should be jumping at it. It's a tremendous gift. Thank goodness I don't have to live with this anymore. And so he invited Peter to this journey of repentance and he took it on board. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. You know I love you. And Peter had full restoration. What a, and full restoration. He got right relationship with God, and he got back on track with his awesome calling. So immediately, after he's just really messed up, he says, well, Peter, in the light of this, feed my sheep. Strengthen the others. When you've restored, when you've turned back, strengthen the others. He didn't say, oh, now you've messed up, that's it. On the naughty seat, the three years. <laughs> he says, no. Go back, feed my sheep, strengthen the brothers, strengthen the others. Hold on to faith. I want to encourage you, hold on to faith. Pray for one another. Strengthen from one another. This is Jesus' solution, to hold on to faith. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Pray that faith would not fail for your own life. Pray your faith would not fail for those around you. Pray for the Holy One because everything comes out of faith. It all starts with faith. Everything starts with faith. Faith in who God is. Faith in what he's done for us. Faith in his word. Faith in his work on the cross. Faith that he'll never fail us or forsake us. Faith that he's working in our darkest times as well as our greatest times. Faith that when we're at our worst he is still at work, can work in us and turn the worst of us into the best of us. 
When Satan is having a go, he can actually undo all of that and prepare us for a great destiny. Faith. Hold on to faith. He's the only one who can do it. Peter failed, but his faith didn't. Isn't that fantastic? You see, the human side of you might fail, but faith is a gift of God, and the divine spark in you won't. Hold on to faith. It has more power than anything else. Through failure and testing, pray for faith. Hold it on to it. Simon, Simon, in conclusion, Satan's asked you to sift you like wheat, but I prayed that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Everything that happens in your life and my life can be put to good use. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. He can turn your mourning into joy, your weeping into laughter, death into life, loss into gain. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer. He is your redeemer. He is your restorer. Hold on to faith. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to his words. Let's stand together. Could the band come up? And as the band begins to play, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you to pray for yourself. There might be a battle going on in your life. There might be something that you regret. There might be a mountain that you're seeking to climb. There might be a human characteristic that you're seeking God to. On humanly speaking, you think this, this is not good, but actually God can turn the not good things in into the best of things. It's the only one who can do it. So I'm going to invite you to pray. And just bring that before the Lord now and say, Lord, out of this lesson we've heard from how you dealt with Peter, I choose to hold on to faith. I choose to believe that you're at work in my life. I choose that you can make it turn out for good. And I give it to you. And I turn to you again in this situation, putting my trust and faith in you. Why don't you do that now? And then I'll pray for you, and we're going to sing a final song in response. Talk to Jesus. Tell him what is troubling you and what you want, his strength and a recovery of faith for. Lord, we thank you that you are our restorer, our redeemer, our savior. You ever live to pray for us. And you can take the most challenging times and turn them into the best of times. And you're the only one who can do it. And so now, Lord, we pray. And choose to see by faith that you are work in us, in me. give you our lives again we choose to repent again 
to live and to follow you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will and your way take place within us. And as we declare now through this song, our faith in you and our hope that you turn graves into gardens and all that that represents, that you are actively doing it and working it out in our lives now. Amen.